You know, it's one of those things where I've always been a firm believer of supporting your brother. And how many of us have a brother or friend or sister or cousin who, you know, owns a restaurant? And if, if you owned a restaurant, I think you would expect, especially if your family lived in the same town, you would expect your family to come and support your restaurant, right? We have Christian brothers and sisters who are slaving away. And those Christian brothers and sisters are slaving away to provide music that is inspirational, music that is encouraging, music that is challenging. And so that's why when I became saved at 19, I purposed in my heart, I would only listen to Christian music because I want to fully support my brothers and sisters. And today I have to say that, you know, when it comes to movies, we now have people who are getting better at making Christian movies. Christian movies have gotten better than what they used to be. There's there's number of Christian movies that have come out in the last few months. There's number of Christian movies that are coming out soon. Support the Christian brothers and sisters. If we go out and watch a movie and pay for it, that makes a point to Hollywood. People want to see good, clean movies, right? How many of us have watched a bad movie and paid for it? How many of us have gone to a restaurant and had a bad meal and we still paid part of it? Maybe got you know dessert for free. We have paid for many things in our life that we didn't like. It's time that as Christians, we stand up and support one another and make a difference and make a point. We should demand that goodness, that excellence in movies, in music, that Christians know where to spend their money. They know where to spend it on their brothers and sisters who are giving all that they have. All of that to say, if it's still in the theaters, I would encourage you Watch it. It was, it was an awesome movie. It brought tears to my eyes. It was really, really, really good. So this morning I'm opening with a couple questions. And question number one is this. It's really important. Do you think cavemen had nightmares? Back in the day, cavemen, do you think they had nightmares? And I wonder, did they have nightmares about cavewomen? Or did they have nightmares about maybe dinosaurs? Maybe they had a nightmare about... Where do we go to the restroom? I don't know. Which smells better? Fresh cut grass after just mowing the lawn or bread baking in the oven? Most of us would say bread. And I would agree because I'm allergic to mowing the grass, even though I still do. The grass gets me and I sneeze for like three hours afterwards. Really not that long, but I do sneeze. If you can invite any three people to lunch today, any, anyone around the world, anyone who lived 3,000 years ago, if you can invite any three people to have lunch with you today, who would you invite? What is your favorite way to travel? Airplane? Boat? Car? Motorcycle? Train? A couple more questions. What is your biggest regret in life? And how many of us know, because we've all lived 30 years, most of us have at least one. What is your greatest strength? And what is your greatest weakness? If you look up question in the dictionary, it's, it's a sentence worded to express, to be expressed to gather info. If you look at the first letters, first five letters of the word question, it's quest. And that definition of quest means a long search for something involving or requiring strenuous effort, difficult, tiring. And so this morning and in the last few weeks, I have been asking questions. 
See, because questions are leading everyone somewhere. Questions that we have from a very young age, from a very young age. You know, when a baby is born and it's hungry, there's a question in the baby's mind, who is going to feed me? And so that baby learns to cling to mom, right? And as time goes on and as babies grow up and they become infants and toddlers and all those things, how many of us know we all have deep longing questions? These questions, they're leading us somewhere. They're leading us to a place. How many of us have ever seen this? It's a little blurry, but it's the map of California. Now, most of us in the old days can remember if you were a AAA member and before Google, when you used to travel outside of Hemet, you'd probably get a map, right? And you'd get maybe not a map like this, you know, maybe you'd get a different map. I'm sure some of us had a map that looks like this, but we used maps. Maps were so awesome and wonderful. They were like four feet wide and four feet tall and you're driving and you're pulling the map out and you're swerving on the road because you're trying to, you know, look at the map. But a map and the people who design maps, what did they do? They were there to give us direction. Your questions this morning, and all of us have them. There's questions we have about ourselves. There's questions that we have about one another this morning. There's questions that we have about our family, our friends. There's questions that we have about church. There's questions that we have about God. We all have questions. But the big question to you being, again, the first five letters of question, the quest, where's your quest taking you? Where's your quest taking you? You know, as we're singing this morning with you, that second song, and I was thinking as we're, we're singing, God is singing over us. I, I wonder if, how many of us know that we all have a few different emotions, sometimes daily, hourly, right? But some of us sometimes, there's times where we could be bitter and a little bit frustrated. And I'm wondering if God starts to sing a country song to try and pull us out of that mood. And I'm wondering sometimes, you know, when we're uppity and we're just, you know, at it and we're going at it, I wonder if God just starts singing a little hip hop song for us. I wonder for every one of our moods, does God have a song that he sings to you because he's trying to meet you directly, exactly, right where you are, because that's what God does. That's who God is. We are all on a quest this morning, and whether we're on a quest that is just a local quest, like being in just right here in our little town in California, some of us, our quests are so big and broad that it's, it's all-consuming and it's all of the United States. And then for some people out there, their quest is massive and it takes the whole entire planet to think about. We know that in the beginning, Satan asked Adam and Eve a question. And with that question, he pushed them into a whole different place. And see, that's what your questions do. They move you maybe from one mood to another. Your questions will move you from physically one place to another. Because there's many people, how many times have said, should I live here? Should I be here? Should I stay here? Should I go there? And so questions move us physically, our physical addresses, where we think, where we wonder, where should we be? Where, should, where do I belong? Questions, 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 questions. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. 
And one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness, and he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush, and Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush, his face, though, ooh, where did I go? I went to the next page. From the middle of the bush, Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Verse 3, this is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord told him, I have certainly seen the impression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people, the cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? We're going to skip to chapter 4, verse 10, and these are the last few verses. Moses pleaded with the Lord, O oh Lord, I'm not very good with words, and I never have been. I'm not even now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied. My words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, can you please send someone else? And so this morning as we paint the picture with the scriptures that I just read, we see that Moses was tending, it says his father-in-law's sheep. And if you're going to work for someone, why not work for your father-in-law, right? Make an impression on father-in-law. And as Moses is in the quest of his life at this point, he's a shepherd, Okay? And a shepherd is, is someone who obviously knows how to work extremely hard. There are long days, there's long nights, there's leading, there's guiding, there's protecting. They're sleeping on the, on the ground with the rock as a pillow. Many people, as Moses, sometimes get stuck in an occupation. How many of us from a very young age have been trained here in America that you must Think about what career, as soon as you get out of high school, if you're going to college or if you're going into the work field, you must be ready. You need a job. You need a career. You need a degree. You need this. You need this. You need this. You need this. For some people, their quest, that's all that life is. It's just a job. All their energy, all their time. There are many husbands who go to work every single day, come home exhausted, and they have no energy for anybody else. 
There are many wives who go to work and they spend their days and hours at, at work. And when they come home, they have energy for nobody else. This job, this, this almighty job that is so important, this job that is supposed to be everything because it pays the bills. And how important is it that we all pay the bills? And if all of us are on a quest in life, this morning is your quest the job that you have, the job that you had? Is your work all consuming the time, energy, and everything to you? Does it suck the life out of everything that you are? Because for somebody and many in this world today, I can tell you, the job is their God. And they are searching and they're looking and they're working just for their perfect job. Moses gets to, as he's shepherding, he's leading the sheep, he gets to the mountain of God and he sees a burning bush. He sees the burning bush and, and obviously this is a very awkward sight because no one had ever seen it before and he'd never seen it before. But it was a bush, literally a tree that was on fire. It was burning, but it wasn't being burned up. And so God calls out to Moses, 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 I need to change your direction. I need to change the direction. I need to change your home address. I have a different plan for you. You know, sometimes God speaks to us and we don't see it and we don't hear it. So he has to do something very unusual to get our attention. Seeing a bush that is on fire, but it's not being burned, it's different. And we know in the Old Testament, God would use a wind, he would use wind, he'd use earthquakes, he'd use fire, he'd use his voice, the gentle whisper, he'd use angels, he'd use dreams. And we know that God at the end, at least in the New Testament, what did he use? He used his son Jesus. For what? To get our attention. How many of us have seen life is so all-consuming? How many of us this morning, you know, we walked into service, but yet we have three billion things going on in life and three billion things going on in our mind. So hard to concentrate, so hard to listen, so hard to just stop. Because God is speaking. Because God is speaking. We as Americans, we have written the book on being busy. We have written the book on how to be busy all the time. And I wonder this morning, as God had to use something different and very unique to get the attention of Moses. And I wonder, and I wonder a lot when I read the Bible. I wonder how many different things he used before that, but Moses just kept walking by. How many times did he try to speak and Moses just kept walking by? How many times did he use a dream and Moses would wake up and say, ah, that couldn't be real. And just kept going on with life. God had to get his attention. And I strongly feel this morning, there's some of us in here, God is trying to get your attention. This burning bush is also a picture of a Christian life. Because we know in Romans 12, 1, it says, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. 
This is truly the way to worship him. This burning bush in this story, in this picture, this is a picture of the Christian life, that God is this all-consuming fire, that he's passion, that he's hot, that he's crazy, that he's amazing, and he puts all of these things inside of us so that we become zealous, that so we become excited, that you can see it in our faces, that God Almighty, he's living inside of us. Everywhere we go and everything that we do, people take a look and they can say, there's something different about this person. There's something different about them. You know, in the last couple of years, I was listening to a podcast this week on leadership and one of this leaders, he's from Canada, and he said that he um, was doing a study on 20 to 40 year olds. 70%, 70, turn to your neighbor and say 70. 70% 20 to 40 year olds said they were burnt out on life in the last year. 20 to 40 year olds. Now I can remember being 20 just like yesterday because I'm so close to it, <laughs> right? But how many of us remember at 20, we were like supercharged, man. We had all the best batteries inside of us. Man, we were like, I am ready to go anywhere, any day. But this generation, and you know what it is? We are so full of information Kids today can't handle it. Our phones, they're too smart for us. Our phones give us so much information. You can get the news. You can read the Bible. You can go on social media and you can see what someone ate last night, where they were. There is just way too much information. And honestly, you know what? Our brains can't process it. 70% of young people burnt out. And you know what's funny? Because I've been a, a church, uh, Christian for a little bit. I can't tell you in the last 20 years of being a Christian, how many times I've heard a Christian say, I'm just burned out. And honestly, you know what? They weren't burned out of God. And honestly, they weren't burned out of church. And they weren't burned out of ministry. Life had burned them out, but they have to blame it on someone. So we blame it on God. We blame it on church. We blame it on ministry. If 70% of kids today, young adults, are burnt out, it's not because of God and it's not because of church. Because honestly, in the last year, how many of us know we've had church, hadn't had church, had church, haven't had church. Many people have been at home in their pajamas, drinking coffee, eating their own donuts. Now you come here and you get a free one. People burn out regardless. How many people go to work every single day and they say, I am just burnt out? How many people living today, they're saying, I just am burned out of this situation. I'm burned out. Burn, 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 burn. Why? Because life has become so bothersome. Questions that have led them on the wrong quest. Honestly, they were looking at the world maybe when they should have just been looking at California. The quest had taken them in all the wrong places. The devil tells Christians today, you are burned out. You're burned out of God. He doesn't matter anymore. You're burned out of church. Doesn't really mean anything. You are burned out. You don't need to work and help God. You don't need to do anything for God. You don't get paid for it. You don't get paid enough. God says to Moses, he says, stop. 
I want you to take off your shoes because the place that you're standing is holy ground. What was so ground, what was so special about the ground? Was it a special kind of dirt? Was it imported from France or Spain or Italy? Was there, was there something special about this one little spot that this, this was the finest? It was like gold, gold rush. And you could, you know, you could pick it up and run gold through your hands. When God said this to Moses, he was saying, take off your shoes and show some respect. Humble yourself because where you're standing, my presence is here and I'm holy. And that word holy there, it means set apart. It means different. It means to consecrate yourself, to be completely separated. What is special about church buildings? Absolutely nothing. What makes church buildings special? The people who walk through the doors. There is nothing special about any kind of building anywhere. There isn't. Church means nothing if it's empty, right? Church means nothing. It's the people who walk through the doors, you who walk through the doors. You make this place special. You make us special by showing up and walking through the doors. You make it special. It is holy because God is inside of us. And so as we come together and we're being full of the Holy Spirit, it is God in us that makes us special. It wasn't the bush that was special in the story. It wasn't the ground in the story that was special. It was God's presence. And there is nothing like God's presence. There is absolutely nothing like God's presence. Holy, sacred, consecrated, dedicated, set apart. First Corinthians 6.19 says, don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you, was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you at a high price. You must honor God with your body. And the story goes on. And so God says to Moses, I've seen my people and they're suffering and they're hurting. I see my people and they're, they're, they're slaves and they're being whipped and they're being driven to, to work and to build things. They're being hurt. And God in this story is expressing his heart as a father's heart. And it is amazing that this is God Almighty. But he says, I care for people. I care for you. I watch every tear. I watch when someone says something that is mean and rude to you. It hurts me as well. When you get stabbed in the back, it's like they're stabbing me as well. Because I love you this much. Because I love these people so much, he says to Moses, I need you to go. I need you to go. I need you to quit your job. You're going to turn in your notice to your father-in-law. Give him a two-week notice. Be polite because he is your father-in-law, right? But I need you to go. You're going to change your occupation. You're going to change where you live. And I need you to be the leader of my people. I need you to go. And Moses obviously has a few questions for himself. He says, who am I? God, who am I? How would I appear before Pharaoh? God, who am I to lead? God, who am I that you would pick me to go before Pharaoh? You remember what I did when I was in Egypt? Who am I to lead? I have a hard time doing anything. And you want me to go lead a million people? Moses questioned himself and he says to God, my words, they get tongue-tied. My words sometimes get tangled. My words, I don't know how to speak correctly. And he wasn't that he was saying that he had a speaking problem. He was saying, I just don't know if I'm eloquent enough 
to speak in front of the king, to speak in front of Pharaoh. He could speak just fine. He could talk just fine. But in the language here, the picture that he's describing is, I don't know if I'm so quick on my feet with my words. I don't know if I sound professional. I don't know if I will sound good enough talking in front of Pharaoh. And so God says to Moses, Moses, I will be with you. Who created your mouth? I can give you the words to speak. Who created your ears so that you could hear? Who created your eyes so that you can see? I will be with you. Everywhere we go, everything that we do, God is with us. Still Moses, and he's such a sweet gentleman. God, can you please send somebody else? Imagine having this long conversation with the bush, right? And you know that it's God because God said it's me, the God of your, your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And so Moses, instead of even hit his face because he was like, oh. He's having this long conversation. They're going back and forth and back and forth. It's like buying a vehicle, back and forth. Let's argue back and forth. And here he says, God, please, can you just send someone else? I just don't want to do it. Please, some, give the job to somebody else, somebody more qualified, someone who sounds better, someone who looks better, someone who's not as old as me. Please. Moses thought that he had four reasons to say no. And his number one reason was, God, I'm just not worthy. God, I can't do this for you. I just made too many mistakes. I'm not worthy, God, to do this. Number two, his, his excuse was, God, I don't have enough knowledge. I'm unqualified to speak for you, God Almighty. Number three, his excuse was, God, I lack power. How am I going to stand in front of someone powerful when I'm so powerless? And number four, his last one that we just finished with was, God, I don't know how to speak effectively. Have we ever made excuses to God why we don't want to do something? Have we ever made excuses why we don't get up on Sunday mornings and come to church? Have we ever said to God, God, I can't do this, I can't go here, I can't do this, I can't do this? How many of us, when we can remember applying for our first job, I remember my first job was working at the village in Hemet here, and I was a food server. And if you remember your first job and your first interview, they're asking you, okay, you know, how are you qualified to be a food server? And at 15, it's like, I'm young, I'm dumb. No, I didn't say that, but I'm young. I've got lots of energy and no matter what it's gonna take, I'm gonna do it. I'll get the job done. You know, usually when you apply for a job, it's either one or two things. One, you are fully qualified for the job that you are applying for. Or number two, you are just so enthusiastic about yourself that you are confident that you'll get the job because you'll learn really quick. And how many of us in our life, we've gotten a job based on those two things, whether we're young and we're energetic and yes, I can do it, I can learn anything. Or two, we do have the qualifications. We have been trained. I've got the skill, I've got the certificate up on the wall. I am ready. There's just one little thing though in God's kingdom. God's not looking for the qualified. God's looking for the unqualified. He picked a man named Moses who years before this actually killed somebody. He saw somebody who was being abused 
took it upon himself. That person's being abused, so let me take care of this. And he killed somebody. And then ran for years and years and years from this mistake. Ran because he was afraid if I ever went back home, I'll be killed. You think about Jesus for a minute. Who did Jesus pick when he was here? Did he pick the rabbis? These guys had the fanciest clothes. Man, they were top notch. They had the Maseratis, they had the BMWs, they had limos and Hummers that were, you know, they had chauffeurs and people driven them around. Wait, how come Jesus didn't pick the best of the best, the men who knew the Bible better than anybody? Who did Jesus, God's son, pick? Fishermen? He picked fishermen to preach? How many of us think I am not qualified for what God asked me to do? And if you've ever said that, pat yourself on the back because you're correct. God wants you to feel unqualified. And see, the thing is, through our feelings of unqualification, we go through this if we're growing in Him. We go through season after season after season after season after season feeling unqualified for what he asks us to do today. And then we wake up tomorrow and we feel yet unqualified again. When we're young, when we're zealous and we have so many muscles that are bursting out of our shirts and we're so, ah, and young and beautiful with no wrinkles and all of these things. How many of us have seen life progresses? And as life progresses, God is still trying to reach out to you, not because you're qualified, not because when you're, you know, 50, 60, 70, not because when you get to a certain age, you've learned everything. God doesn't care. But what he's reaching out to you this morning is saying, I have something specific for you. And it's not based on what you know, but it's based on who you know. And you need to focus only on me. You only need to focus on me. See, because when we don't focus on God, you know what happens? Anger, frustration, bitterness, stress, anxiety, and then questions. How many questions? I picked this story is I'm going to close with Moses before we move into our holiday season messages. But how many questions did, did Moses have as he was with God? How many questions do they go back and forth? And am I this? And I can't do this and this and that and the other. And he argued because he really didn't want to do it. But at the end, what did he do? He did go. He did go. The outcome of life, the outcome of life with God and what he asks us to do, it does not depend on our ability, just a willingness to say yes. The outcome of what God's asking you to do this morning, it's not based on who you are and where you work. It's not based on how much money you have, and it never has been with God. God chooses to work with less so that he can show you how awesome and amazing he is. And so we wrap up this morning. God used so many different people in the Bible, not based on their status, not on having a degree, not by being perfect, but yet how many of us expect perfection? God doesn't use us because we're perfect, but yet we do expect perfection from everybody else. God is just looking for a willing heart. Every single one of us, we all want to be somebody. 
We all have looked for exactly who we are. You know, from a very young age, kids and teenagers are asking themselves, and we know this today more than ever, they're wondering if they're a boy and a girl because they forgot the last time they looked in their pants, right? There are older people who are still questioning through every season and change of life, who am I today? Where is my life going today? And so through all of the questions, through all of the seasons of life, all of us on a quest somewhere to be something, just the biggest question is, where is your quest leading you? We know in the beginning, devil used a question and it sidetracked Adam and Eve with a question. Are you having any lingering questions that are sidetracking you from fully loving somebody? Do you have any questions that are sidetracking you from fully loving God? Do you have any questions that are, that are just lingering in your head and it's slowing down the process of what God wants to do? God is only looking for a willing heart. Don't let your questions hold you back from what God wants you to do and be this season. This um, Christmas season we starts here really quickly, obviously, as December 25th is quickly approaching 20 days from today. And so the theme that God's put on my heart is God, we know, wants to make a difference. But in order to make a difference, we have to be different. We have to be different. Jesus, when he came to this earth, was he what everyone expected? Absolutely not. And if we're going to make a difference in this season, then we must choose to be different. Not who we want to be. We don't get to pick who we want to be. We don't get to pick where we're going to go. We don't get to pick whose team we're on. We have to choose to be the difference maker, choosing to be different, to make a difference in this season. You know, what an awesome opportunity we have to let this great name Jesus go before us today, to go before us tomorrow, to go before us this season, that he is our healer, he is our redeemer, that he is our defender, he is our savior, and he is our Lord Almighty. He is Jesus, and he is the reason that we're here today, he's the reason that we'll be back again next week, this is the season. It's Jesus. Bless you. Thank you for coming today. We love you. Thank you, Mom and Carl and Chrissy and Sal for coming all the way down to see us. We love you and appreciate you. Thank you.